All right. Welcome to today's episode of the Dark Matter Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Brown, here with the homie, Hunter. What's going on, guys? What's going on? Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you being on the show. Hunter and I go way back like a dolphin fin, okay? Been my bro. High school. (laughs) Right. Weird time. That was the birth of weird for me. I think it was further back than high school, but I can't. I can't quite put my finger on it. Did you go to yeah, middle school? Yeah. So, see? So back to middle school. <laughs> Listen, I was still weird. <laughs> I would like hide hey. in the library and read comic books. Well, we're going to talk about that in the episode. We were, quite, we were definitely courtyard kids. So yeah. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. All right. So today is the first episode in a new series called Interviews. Clever title. It won't be until you read it because it's spelled I-N-N-E-R-V-I-E-W-S, interviews. I'm good at marketing. And we're going to talk about, I like that, I came up with that last night. And we're going to talk about art therapy. You know, on my podcast, I like to uh, shine a light on different things that inspire me. So I would like to have other creatives on the show um, and in series talk about what art gets people um, through life. Uh, It's extremely difficult sometimes just being a person, especially in a year as stressful as 2020 has been. And I can easily say that music, art, movies, um, new forms of, of media, whether that be, you know, reels on Instagram, just any sort of uh, artistic stimulant has been a big help in coping and finding new realms of creativity. Uh, to help circumnavigate uh, such a crazy daily life. I mean, Absolutely. I just feel like I'm constantly being, um, not bombarded, but I am sick of posting rest in peace on social media. It really, really hurts. Just in the past couple of days, my friend lost her older brother. My Another friend of mine just lost his dog on top of, Whoa. yeah, on top of all the famous people that have passed this year. Yeah. And it, hurts i just feel like i've been mourning all year how do you feel hunter um i personally and you as well because you know this person as well um rich the the uh, dj from wannabes yeah he passed away two weeks ago um he he had a stroke uh last night was his birthday and so we had a uh a little I guess you could call it a memorial, but basically they'll get together, uh, you know, just regulars, people who loved them. And we all did a toast for him at midnight, um, saying happy birthday to him one last time. Everybody did his favorite songs, kind of sent him off. We put his name up on the TV screen one last time. And now his face is hanging up on the, on the wall of fame. But yeah, that was, uh, yeah. That was crazy. And I'll be honest with you. I know, like, personally, for me, that's, like, the closest person I've ever lost, aside from, like, a great-grandparent. Like, I've, I've, this is a privilege, I feel, that I've not lost many people in my life um, to to death. Um, And and I'm thankful for that. I don't take that privilege lightly. But, uh, yeah, Rich was definitely a close one for me. So that hit hard. That was hard to handle. Man, listen. I will say. And, and a, a quick a quick note uh, for everybody, just to get some context on Rich, who Rich is. Rich is a local karaoke DJ. Um, and, I mean, that's just base if I had to just say, you know, what his profession was. But the thing yeah. was, it wasn't just his profession. He had a no. genuine love for what he did. And you could feel that when you went to this karaoke bar. I started going a few years ago with a friend of mine and I had no idea what it would turn into for my personal life um, as far as being able to openly express and sing and share that kind of energy with people on a weekly basis. And Absolutely. I was one of those people that would, he would say hi to you before you walked to the door. Mm-hmm. It cracked open, you would hear his voice projecting from the other side. Right. <laughs> Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah, just a good, just a good person, period. The last time I saw him, actually, I was driving down the street. This was 
probably a year ago. I'm driving down the street. I come off. Um, and you're six four. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> this you is like on the podcast. <laughs> I'm cro. <laughs> I can't, now I can't say it. That's amazing. <laughs> so I'm cruising down the street in my six four. <laughs> I stop and there's a homeless guy uh, next to me. And the thing about uh, the the homeless community that's especially around my neighborhood. I ride my bike a lot and you can't just roll up your window and like pretend you don't see them when you're on your bicycle. So I try to, you know, just be a nice person anyway, say hello. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of the homeless people that live around here. So I was talking to him and he was telling me he just got laid off and uh, he was like, his Medicare wasn't going through and he had to take care of his family. So I gave him a couple of dollars and then out my, that was all to my right. On my mm-hmm. left, I hear someone say, yo, Jay. And I turn over and it's rich waving frantically in the past mm-hmm. feet of this car. And so he gets out or he rolls his window down and he's yelling at me, hey, man, I love you, brother. And then the, the homeless guy was just like, you know, this guy, isn't he great? And so I'm like in the middle of this and I'm like, oh, this is so weird. But I'm just like in the middle. And now it's just his energy. He was like, yeah. I see you. And I'm not going to just honk and roll by, you know, honk, wave, roll by. Like it's normal. Like Rich was like, if I don't open this window and yell at him and say something, I have to yeah. say something. And now it's his energy at all times. So now I'm going to add that to the list. Uh, I feel, I can't believe I missed that. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely a big thing for wannabes. Um, you know, I mean, that was, that, he was family, you know what I'm saying? Like he trained me in the booth. Um, yeah. He was, he was like the second father figure to me. And I mean, uh when Carter came out, like I was the one who Rich came to, to to talk to about that, to try to get some insight on on what it's like to be trans and, you know, just different things um, that come along with that uh, transitioning from female to male. And, and so it was, it was wholesome feeling for to to be the one for him to come to. And, and I know that I'll definitely cherish that, that, you know, he confided in me and trusted in me enough that, uh, to come and ask those questions, to trust me enough to give him that information that it would be the right information. So it's a big deal. uh, Exactly. That's like, I mean, I I quite, to an extent helped him mold his appreciation for his child when they came out, um, as transgender yeah and so i i'll always cherish that you know i I love the fact that i could help them with that and the fact that rich was able to love his kid uh the way that he should have before he was gone um and god rest his soul Mm -hmm. nobody saw it the way that it was going to come he ended up having a stroke so it just death is a is a hard thing but i will say it does and this goes along with what we're going to be talking about it death brings out creativity um yeah a lot of people showed up last night and showed their creativity through voice uh through music through just love and and showing appreciation um towards each other for rich um and i know myself uh currently working on a piece uh i don't show my unfinished pieces but uh currently working on a piece that is just kind of expressive of uh of this time period right now for me um so if you don't mind let's go a little more uh into detail tell me more about um how art has impacted you uh in general i noticed that there's a lot of uh paintings behind you and that's I why it shares the seat yeah. <laughs> right yeah i gotta get more art and stuff i just put this this was in the corner and i just i saw it and i put my laptop down but uh, yeah tell me more about your uh how art and music has kind of shaped let's start early since we go back as far back as middle school what was the okay. first couple um things that really took you out of the realm of just because i feel like there's a point i was thinking about this this morning there's a point in your life where music and art are just there it's another thing yeah. when that switch happens and you start to seek it out well for me 
art, um, as far as music and um, like basic uh, general art, as in like painting, drawing, stuff yeah. like that. Um, those two things have always been the constant in my life. Uh, you know, I've I've gone through stuff. I've I've had a pretty rough life, and for me, they were both my outlets. Um, I can go back to as far as elementary school. Um, I was singing in chorus, and you know would go or I would sing in a traveling chorus at one point. Um, and then for artwork, I mean, we all were in art classes in elementary school. I mean, yeah. but uh, I think come middle school and high school was when I really started to seek out uh, art. Um, Definitely more so in high school, I started to get more in touch with like uh, my my real creative side. Um, yeah, I I joined. I actually my senior year joined chorus. And I was so mad I waited my senior year because it was one of my favorite classes. I joined chorus again, and that was where I think I found my voice. Um, and then again, later in high school, I think it was my junior year, I joined art and uh, one of my pieces was actually put in the mocha. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, they had a, they had a contest. Um, and I don't remember if you, I don't know if you remember Mr. Butts at all. Um, yeah. he, he was my art teacher. And so we had like a, an in-house comp competition and uh, I was able to get a piece put in the mocha. So that was pretty cool. That's, that's something I kind of like, Hey, I had a piece in a music or an art museum. Like, right. <laughs> you um, that. Put that on the resume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People have told me, people have told me to do that actually. Um, Listen, that's another thing. I mean to cut you off and you don't go, go back. No, another thing that is, is going to be a subtext going forward. If you did it, claim it. I usually suck at that, but I filled out a lot of interview or filled out a lot of uh, what's the thing before you get a job interview. Apple resume. Yes. Application. Written yeah. a lot of resumes more this month, or I'm sorry, more this year than I think I have in a while. Because what I do is I have a like a big one, you know, probably three or four pages of everything I've ever done. And then depending on the job, I just I'll take out, it. I need this coffee shop, I'm working at a grocery store. So then I'll just like tweak it. But if you did it, claim it, okay? Because 2020 is not pulling any punches. So you better punch back with everything. That. You were in the MoCA, it's a Museum of Contemporary Art. For everyone that's listening, it's not local, in Virginia Beach. Fantastic museum. I was just there a couple weeks ago and the exhibits were crazy. Okay. But side wonderful thing. Asterisk in this video, in this podcast episode. You did it, own it. Back to what you're saying. I did it. I'm gonna toot my own horn a little bit. <laughs> um, but no, like I yeah, in high school I had uh, a piece in an art museum, which was pretty cool. It was myself and a couple other kids, but it was uh What was it about? It was um, it was, I think it was about sea life. Um, cause I know mine was a turtle, like my piece was a turtle. Yeah. Um, I drew a sea turtle, but it was uh, pastel. So it was like all the different colors and stuff. Um, it was, it was more abstract than anything. Um, it definitely wasn't realistic, yeah. uh, but it was, it was nice. I liked it. Um, my mom actually has it in her house and she refuses to let me take it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a, put um, fridge. I mean, I don't care from kindergarten to grown, you put something on your mom's house. You're doing all right. <laughs> oh my gosh. If you walk into my mom's house, it's like my art museum. <laughs> she has all my old pieces from high school. Um, pretty much every art project that we had to do in art class, she has hanging on her wall. That's so um, yeah, it's it's funny. People walk in and they're like, "Oh, who's the artist?" And my mom just like points at me. 
<laughs> and then then you look at all these actually if you can see yeah. every single one of these i've painted um and then those as well um there's a couple of others but but i won't show you all around um that's kind of why what's that that's what second interviews are for we'll do it we'll figure the rest out okay that's fair that's fair um all right so yeah this, this is a poetry episode i have to ask and this is okay if you don't have a direct answer are there any poems any poets that have changed your changed your life changed your mind changed your perceptive uh perspective on life and kind of opened up any sort of uh, creative avenues for you? Both. Um, I have always been interested in poetry um, ever since I was young enough to learn about Shakespeare. Um, and I've always kind of, I've always written. Um, it's always been, I guess, a third outlet, but it's always kind of been the back burner outlet that I never really thought much about. Um, I... I don't know if you remember, um, Never mind, I can't even remember her name exactly, but there was a girl named Jessie back in high school and we would actually go back and forth on stories. We would write stories, um, like novel stories, like, uh, and, and it was pretty fun. Um, we would collaborate on them with characters and just different story or just different like segments and stuff. It was pretty cool. Um, but poetry for me, I've always been like a, a, a big like free verse kind of like spoken word kind of, um, that's what I liked about when I knew, I learned that you did spoken word. I was like, oh, okay, I, I like that he does that. Um, Terrifying. It, you know, yeah, but I can't <laughs> imagine that it would, I can't imagine it would be much more terrifying than going up and singing karaoke sober. Because um, <laughs> you still got those nerves. Yeah, I feel like they're, they're, they're not far off from each other. Because the thing but, is, um, if you do it and you're in um, the zone, you can feel intoxicated. Yeah. That's what's trippy for me about like karaoke, which is why doing karaoke was actually easier for me mm -hmm. because I didn't have to sell you something. You already knew what it was i picked a song from a book and i was like man you know how much less pressure it is when you walk on stage and you have to present an idea to someone in a rhythmic uh semi-structured format mm -hmm. and then wait at the end you know when you're done you say your last line and you're like okay and you wait and the amount of subjects that sometimes people have to respond to or pick up on or you know you hope this translates well and then that like two second pause where it's just nothing you're like did they get it did they like it and then it turns into like clap you know applause or whatever or boo you suck and i have to dodge a boot like george bush but like at karaoke you already know this song yeah like a good one i don't even everybody have has to clap <laughs> right right you know but it's still, yeah. So I recommend it actually post COVID, post Malone. I had to make that joke. I'm sorry. Don't <laughs> you. Post COVID, I'm going to take you to open mic. If everyone I've ever taken to an open mic has had a great time. And you don't have to recite anything, but you'll probably want to as soon as you're done because there's just something about being in the room and feeling that energy of a bunch of people being mm. braver than their anxiety or the things that worry them. It's, it's honestly intoxicating. I walk out of there and I feel like I'm, I'm like, okay, cool. You see that one poem, the second girl, she killed it. I'm gonna go write a poem about that. And then I'm like in the house later and I'm just like, okay, all right. I'm gonna kill him with this next time. So I'm gonna take you out. We're gonna go, we're gonna go okay. do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm about it. I'm about it. Cause for me, it's, it's the experience. It's, it's, you know, just the all around experience of the feeling of, of just being present and stuff like that and and putting your heart and soul into all that stuff. And I love I love that you're like, you know, it's intoxicating once you kinda got a taste of it, you got hooked. And and that's it's a great thing to be intoxicated on. Yeah. It's you know, 
it's gonna help you in so many different ways like in life um but uh to jump back to what you you asked you asked a second question about um if i liked poetry or if i like or if i had a poet that i liked that or that influenced me and um aside from uh shakespeare jack frost or robert frost jack frost <laughs> Jack Frost, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> it's early. It's early. Y'all. It is. It is. I honestly have not had my coffee yet, which is probably why I look like I'm still half asleep. Um, Robert Frost. <laughs> you almost said it again. Didn't you? Um, I almost did again. <laughs> um, uh, and I believe I'm going to say this guy's name wrong. Neil Hilborn. 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 He's with uh, Button Poetry. Okay. Um, I love buttons. Yeah, I have, I I follow them on Facebook, and they come up every every once in a while, and and it's interesting to listen to um, to everybody's different uh, poems, and most of the time they're relevant uh, pieces. So it's like about the things that are going on in the world and people who these things are happening to and they're they're speaking out about it through spoken word and right. it's it's powerful and um but neil um i i fell in love with his his art because a lot of his has to do with being like the black sheep or or having um turbulent relationships and and feeling heartbreak and just the rawness of it right. um you know I, I i think everything happens for a reason i think that things are placed in your life at certain times for specific reasons and um i believe that even through social media even on the internet or whatever we see things when we need to see them and yeah. a lot of times uh for me uh I see it as that, like those, those poems, those, those pieces are showing up because I need to see them. Absolutely. So that's a wonderful way to think about it too. I, 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 I think about that in every realm except the internet, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And that mm-hmm. I always try to think about something I've thought about since I was a kid um, was, you know, my, my parents teaching me uh, about the Bible and that God is in everybody or he, re- he created us in his image. So mm-hmm. I think about it a lot. And when I'm confronting a person, every once in a while, that switch just clicks in my mind when I'm talking to them. And I realize, you know, not, I mean, outside of like a God complex, but like there's a very specific reason I'm speaking to this person. Like I could have done mm-hmm. anything, kind of like the butterfly effect. I could have done anything. I could have called out of work today. I could have broke my leg. I could have not made it to work, you know? Yeah. I could've, and of all of the millions and billions of things that could have happened, I am converged in this moment with this person. So I need to listen to whatever they're saying. Or I don't. But it is important. <laughs> it is or I don't. <laughs> I mean, because sometimes it's just like, fam, <laughs> you know, Trump mask on. Anyway, oh. But, you know, like, it's important to to really understand serendipity that is the universe working at all times, whether you're yeah. talking or not. I try to talk about that a lot uh, in my own poems or synthesize it when I come home and I'm just kind of unpacking my day and I'm just really thinking about it. Like, man, that was, um, that was something that was either really prosperous or something that showed me an ugly side of myself. You know, like I, I have a pretty, I have, I have a bad temper. A lot of people don't see it because I work very hard on not ever showing it. I've never seen you upset out of all the years that I've known you. I have literally only ever seen you like happy, um, sad. I've seen you sad, like, um, or I guess upset, but not mad. Like you were bothered. Yeah, 
I get big, man. <laughs> I get yeah. big man. And a lot you get big boy, man. Yeah. And the thing is, which is why I wanted to talk to you about like poems, because that was kind of one of the first things that helped me channel that. When I was yeah. young, I would write angry letters, you know. Mom said I couldn't do anything. <laughs> How dare you, mom? This sucks. I hate it. Why am I have why do I have to be 14 and want everything but can't get anything? You know, and I would just crumple them up and throw them away. But just the release, the literal physical release of just scratching over a piece of paper over and over again helped, right? Yeah. So that was where it, where it started, and it just has transformed throughout my life into um, a very positive and enriching uh, backbone um, of how I try to treat the human experience, you know, with, with care and compassion. So that people don't ever see me at my worst and pissed off and upset. They only see me handling one or even my happiness, I think is, is a guided mistreatment, you know, because if I feel upset in a moment, I'm not going to try to keep projecting that. I'm going to try to be positive so that I can pull somebody else out. Yeah. Well, I feel like that is awesome. Thank you. Because... You have to, it's one thing to, to be positive for yourself, but to be positive for other people, like that's, that's a whole nother thing. But um, and, the human experience is a group project. I think that's a fun project. <laughs> yeah, we all know the project. Sorry, I had to pause for a minute and get myself my coffee so I could wake up a little bit. <laughs> That's totally fine. Mine is too far away and it takes too long to get to. So I'll, <laughs> I'll chug it when I'm done. All right. See, that's why I just picked up the, the camera and I uh, walked. <laughs> Keep it all in. I'm telling you, I'm not editing. I, the editing that I do is just going to be like a little bit of color shifting and then like an intro and an outro. I... Keep it raw. Pause. Hey. Don't take that out of context. <laughs> but I like to keep the human experience genuine. That's a better way to say it. People on the internet are weird. Anyway, <laughs> one more. Because I had a bunch of questions, but I'm having a lot of fun just chopping it up with you in general. Um, hey, we can always do a, a second, a, a part two. You absolutely will. Make it longer, cut it in half. Be like, we had such a good time. We did. I actually absolutely plan. I, I just have, I have way too many friends of mine that are creative or I've met in some creative space. Uh, and in your case, we were friends, you know, and then uh, friends in school and then, you know, just the natural, you leave high school and you just don't see people every single day and then came back, uh, came back in the fold. And I mean, when I walked in Wannabes and I saw you, I was like, oh, snap, this is going to be, I already know this is great. Like it's like walking into a familiar, a familiar space. Yeah, and uh, absolutely. So let's chop it up about wannabes real quick, because, okay. like I said, I was going to talk about poetry, but that has been—I don't think I've ever really talked about, except to maybe a few people, how big karaoke became a part of my life. Like being able to go somewhere with people that you trust, mm -hmm. people that you know, people that you love, people that you care about, that treat you like family. What wannabes absolutely does. Absolutely. And be able to put your, put everything out there. I mean, so for some people, karaoke is just a total casual thing. They go, they drink, they sing, they leave, you know? But some of us were legitimately going out there week after week and doing concerts. I mean, if it was, you know, five or six of us in the rotation, I would do sometimes five, six songs in a night. And, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I still remember your playlist. <laughs> right. And Hunter was right there. Hunter would always, all right, Jay, you know, or I would go up with a song and be like, I don't know which one to pick, Hunter. And I'm like, all right, mm -hmm. do this one. You're going to kill him with this one. It was always Gambino or uh, or Rap God. Yeah. Yeah. Because Rap, Rap God was the party trick. That was yes, because if we if there was a lot of people and I wanted to get the crowd going, I'd be like, "Hey, uh, I'm putting you in for rap, dog." Right. And then you go on stage and be like, "What?" 
<laughs> I wouldn't even have my sex. This how slick this dude was. I would nah, be my bag, or I'd be like, you know, sometimes I'd be like, all right, well, I'm, I'm not gonna hit him with the raps today, right? I'm gonna try to sing something. I'd be like, talk about timid and everything, right? You're already in, all the way. You're in, <laughs> you're in the new, you're in the parking lot, in neutral. But I just put you in sixth gear. You better show out for these people. <laughs> and I'll do it. And uh, the thing about rap god is, it's not the fastest verse I know. So to me, it was just like a warm up. And people were still mind blown that I would get through the the quick part of that song, and uh, it's still like people now. People who've seen me before do that have I've been called rap god outside of wannabes. <laughs> like I've been in Walmart, right? And someone's like, "Oh, you're the guy from wannabes. You're the rap god from wannabes." I'm like, oh snap! <laughs> so he got the title. Yeah. Uh, or um, I don't know, just that place. So anyway. Let's talk about more about your journey there. Like, how did you get into being a being a KJ? Oh man, huh. this goes way back. Um, so, believe believe it or not, Wannabes has been around since actually I think the eighties, um, either the eighties or the nineties. Um, but I've been going to Wannabes since I was nine years old because they used to allow kids in before nine o'clock and you used to have to leave at nine and then adults came in. And so my mom would bring me up there because I loved to sing. And I remember, um, I'm not sure if you remember Kelly and Kiefer, um, the old bartender and waitress. Um, Kelly, actually served me a virgin daiquiri on one of my birthdays that I celebrated there. Um, so when I, uh, one night I went up to, to Rainbow Cactus to, to go to sing karaoke and it just, it, it didn't feel welcoming to me. It didn't feel home to me. Yeah. And I just sat there with my beer and I'm just like, okay, this isn't fun. So I'm driving around and I see wannabes and I'm like, well, I haven't been there in so long and I've been thinking about it and they just renovated the sign on the outside. I wonder if they renovated the inside, which they didn't, but um, <laughs> that, that place has been the same since I was nine years old. Um, but I go in there and they just welcomed me with open arms. Um, TA was behind the booth. Um, Kiefer was in the or was at the bar, mm-hmm. and I just sat there in front of the DJ booth. I think I was like one of three people in there, and I just sang back to back to back to back. And from that day forward, I was in there every other day, if not every day, yeah, uh, just singing. And probably about six months into that. They were like, hey, you're here every day. Uh, do you want to learn the system? <laughs> do you want a job? Yeah. So I was excited. I was like, you know what? Oh, yeah. If I get paid, you know, to, to sing and to, to play with music, then absolutely. I'll, get, I'll do that. Right. And so Rich and TA trained me. The rest is history. That's so cool. That's so cool, especially in context of learning um, about uh, you singing in chorus, like how that you know correlated in in, in uh, showing up. And I'm a I'm a big uh, proponent of consistency. You know, if you're consistent with something and you love it, the universe will make a way to make that a very integral part of your life. You know, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Um it's it's the law of attraction you know the the more that you you think about something and the more that you like send out those those vibes and stuff um not to sound like a hippie or anything but but it's sure like i'm here for you see this (laughs) look five i don't for vibrations okay but it's the same thing it's not new this one yeah that one is a Buddha. Well, actually, that one and that one are Buddhas. Mm-hmm. And then that one's the yin and yang. 
and up there I got an ohm. Yeah. Like I'm all about the. the... Right. I think if you can see it. <laughs> there it is. Okay, I can see it yeah. in there now. Listen. I can see it. We're gonna do a room tour later. I'm gonna put that on my YouTube channel. This is a yes. good game, okay? It's a little downplayed right now just because buying stuff and COVID is weird. You have to get it on Amazon. If you don't like it, you just send it back. It's a whole thing. Um, yeah. The desk that I'm setting up right now, I'm gonna show y'all what I'm done. It's gonna be hippied out. <laughs> I'm getting crunchier by the day. You see this beard? What is <laughs> I haven't cut the top of my hair in years, all right? But that's what makes the dreads like just that much more pristine. It's great. It is so great. I'm here for it. Is uh, that one of those brimless hats? It is. Yeah, I got the Yankee with no brim. That's awesome. Here, thank you. I'm just pushing the weird this year. I got completely like circular it. glasses. Like I've been, <laughs> I've always had like the really safe square frames. I'm inside. Who am I looking pretty for? Who am I looking safe for? Got the Harry Potters on now. We're I don't think anybody's cuffing anybody this season. I hope not. There's a lot of people, you know, offset Cardi B. That's all. Are you cheating on people during COVID? I'm so scared to just do regular stuff. Wrap up, catch that COVID. I was at work and an old dude was like this close to me and he kept getting closer. He's like, I can't hear you through the mask. And I was like, okay, I can speak louder. <laughs> you don't have to you don't have to close the distance. I can speak up. What? I don't know where you're at. And then he told me he wasn't from here. He told me he was on vacation. So just my anxiety just kept growing as we we're having that conversation. <laughs> oh, it's fine. It's gonna get COVID. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, that was the whole thing. I'm gonna tell you another story. I had a a, a coworker of mine. I think he went to a, a, a party. No shit. I mean live your life, I guess. But then just randomly in a group chat a few days later, it was like, I lost my sense of smell. Cool. Brad, so now I got to go get tested. I got tested twice. Uh, both of them came back negative. Yeah. But I almost feel like um, in that sense, I was kind of glad because I went through just one of the CVS drive throughs And it was pretty quick. I mean, I made the appointment. It took longer to make the appointment than it did to get tested. I send them the nose swab, or I get in my, I'm in my car, they give you the instructions, you do the nose swab, you send it back. It's like four or five days later, I got my results, so it wasn't even a ridiculous amount of time. So I've even thought about, um, obviously, with the frequency of testing and more people need to be tested, I've kind of thought about, though, like how, uh, how much more beneficial it would be to have you know, like quicker testing. So like if you wanted to go out or go on a trip, uh, and say, okay, cool. Like, let's all get tested real quick. 24 hours later, we'll get the, we'll get the results and we'll know we can travel safely. Like that's kind of been one of the biggest pet peeves for me about the whole pandemic is, uh, hmm. underplaying it and knowing that it was a bigger deal. So if we were still in it, it would be so much easier to say, okay, feel how you feel about the mask. I think it's dumb because it's, you're putting it on for all of 20 minutes while you're in a store or something. Okay how you feel but at least if people were getting tested regularly like i understand that they had to create a whole bunch of new technologies but we would feel so much safer like if there was a way you know people checking i don't know i haven't been to wannabes since covid started just because i don't really want to go anywhere but are you guys checking temperatures or anything or are you just trying to be safe with social distance and the mask and what have you um social distancing and masks um there are sanitizers uh throughout the bar um yep. and we have mic covers as well um we've uh taken away all the stage props um pretty much minimized as many um surface areas for them to touch as possible or like extra surface areas for them to touch as possible right. um the microphone gets cleaned after every single person i personally clean it yeah. um i'm wearing gloves um and obviously all staff members are, are masked up um and uh, and we're at, I would say half capacity, but I would say less than half capacity because we don't even have half the amount of tables in there that we right. normally do. Um, but yeah, we're, if we had one of those temperature guns, I mean, I would feel safer with it, but um, that would mean that we would also have to 
hire somebody to stand at the door all night long to um to zoom because right now unfortunately um we don't even have a server on staff at the moment we only have a bartender who, who serves as the bartender and the server so yeah we have two people on the floor at any given point which is me or um carter the other kj um and then the bartender whoever's bartending um so it's tight right now <laughs> yeah trust me i'm about it i wish we could i trust me if that if that was something that the owner would be down to to do i would be about it i put a chair right next to the door I, you know, we stop people as they come in and we're like, if you don't have a mask on, you're not allowed in here. Right. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, yeah, yeah, not, to, not to hinder anyone's right, because I'm sure that being able to, like, that's an outlet. Like, that's a, the big thing is that's, that's why I wanted to do this series of episodes is, I mean, you're stuck in the house. Some people are used to being in the house, but even, I'm sure even introverts are like, fam, this is a lot. Because it's one thing when you don't want to do something. It's another thing when you can't do something. Like when you're just, you just literally can't, um, whether it be a place that's shut down or they're already at capacity. But there still is that urge and desire to express yourself and um, have some sort of creative outlet. And so for, for me, I know that that was a place that uh, I definitely used a, a lot. You know, sometimes I'd be feeling some kind of way. And instead of just being at home pouting about it, I'm gonna go sing for two hours because I mean you know exactly. do that in the shower or whatever. But it was just like being in that space and shared and having that experience with people is a big deal. Um, so uh, yeah, thank you for keep. I'm I'm glad you're well. I'm glad you haven't gotten sick. Um, you and I, me both. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I'm I'm thrilled that you haven't lost anyone too close. You know, I'm I'm really sorry to hear about Rich. I mean that's it's just so it's so crazy how much this year has just swept and then it just it's like everything that's going on it just keeps getting bigger and crazier like it's not like oh man okay well that thing happened but it's not as bad as that you know y'all remember like like that was crazy right it's like everything is just and it's just like constantly getting just bombarded with stuff that is i mean did you see the pictures from the fires in california it was like an apocalypse. Yeah. Like, can I can I make a comment on that? Can we pause on that one? Yeah. On that topic right there. Okay. I have seen, and I just I just need to make this <laughs> public. Right. I have seen comments on people's Facebooks and Instagrams about the smoke that because we live in Virginia. Yeah. And the smoke's coming from the West Coast. Right. And people are saying that it is not scientifically possible for the smoke to travel. And they are quite literally bashing those who are proving them with science that it is possible for clouds and for smoke and for anything really dust particles, whatever to travel <laughs> from one end of the country to the other. Can we just make this known on your podcast that it is scientifically possible? <laughs> for this podcast, you don't know that. This isn't the show for you. Look, I'm all about helping people. I'm not that dumb either. I, look, this is for the people. <laughs> this isn't for you, Jason. I know you know that this is for your people. If y'all are on this podcast and y'all are traveling across the country, you know, like, I feel like it doesn't even take that much scientific knowledge or wherewithal to understand that that's completely possible. But look, my whole, my whole thing is it literally takes two seconds to Google. <laughs> Does dust travel from West Coast to East Coast? Google will quite literally tell you yes. And then give you an explanation. Right. <laughs> I watched, oh gosh, I can't remember what channel it was. <laughs> I was watching. There was a whole thing on... Um, it's a whole series dedicated to opposing views. So it'll be uh, flat earthers. Like Holocaust scientists. or something. It'll be like flat okay. earthers versus scientists. Uh, okay. Was, um, Bloods and Crips. Capitalists versus um, socialists. 
Okay. They'll ask them a series of questions. If they agree with whatever the question is, they'll come sit down and they'll talk about it. Uh, so that series has been crazy because like that's the conversations we need to have like in the correct way. Like sometimes on social media, it starts as a conversation and then someone puts a meme out and then it's like, yeah, well, you're just, you know, and then everyone's just like piggybacking off of. It gets personal. Right. Or as opposed to it's just like, let's just have like an open table discussion about why you think the way you do. Like when I was watching the Flat Earth episode, you know, obviously the first thing that comes to your mind is like, how can the earth be flat? We have pictures of it. Like, <laughs> you know, and I, I saw it and then this goes back to that. I saw a meme that an astrophysicist posted and it was the entire solar system and just the earth was flat. And the meme was like, funny how that happens. And it was like, he was poking fun at it because it was like, how is everything else, you know, if you take so much out of context, how is every other body in our solar system a 3D shape and ours is flat? And the, the points that they were coming at were different because some people were saying that the earth is a dome. It's like a, like a snow globe almost. Uh, so it's so, flat on the bottom, but round everywhere else. So you don't see, somebody's point was when you're flying over, when you're flying in a jet or a plane or anything, you can't see the curvature of the earth. And that was enough for him to be like, no, it's flat. And uh, the scientist that they were interviewing was like, yeah, so I live where I live. I live on a beach and the way the ocean dips off, I can literally see the curvature of the ocean from my pool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can see where it bends and dips off when ships sail. They don't just fall off the other side. Otherwise, like, like no one would travel there. Like I could see it bend and dip and leave the horizon. Yeah. So a lot going on. But yeah, I mean, the fact that what? Maybe like, oh, mm -hmm. man, the meteors didn't kill all the dinosaurs, just the ones in South America. Like, like dust particles are like, oh, you know what? State lines, man. Nevada, I got to get a passport. It's a whole thing. <laughs> like, 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 oh, I'm not going to. Are you kidding me? That's the kind of stuff. That's the kind of ignorance is literally getting people killed. I was just about to say, Trump has proven that you can't cure uh, stupidity. Absolutely. And, uh, you can enforce it on the internet and yeah. fund it by the state. Wait, and to piggyback off of what you were saying about like the opposing um, uh, opinions, I, um, I actually have been wanting to get into a conversation with a regular at the bar who coincidentally is a sheriff's deputy mm -hmm. at the Virginia Beach jail. Um, She's a sweet woman, kind, very kind woman. Um, I just nothing but good things to say about her, but she is a deputy. Therefore, she backs the blue. Um, and she tried to get into a conversation, basically imposing her opinion on me one night. Um, I just kind of shut up because one, I'm at work and I, I don't really have the time when right. I'm at work or the patience to lose my job. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I just like, because I think so highly of her, like of, as a person, mm -hmm. I've been wanting to like engage in a conversation with her and like to try to educate her. Yeah. Because her views on how everything is happening in the world right now are so biased because she only sees the blue. Right. And I, I got into a conversation with her um, about being trans and in jail. Because, uh, I guess, disclaimer here. Uh, I, I, I did a little time in the slammer there. Um, <laughs> uh, not too long, but only five days. It was okay. It was nothing big. Um, but being trans, they put you in whatever unit um, you uh, have the biological parts for. Okay. And so it doesn't matter how you identify. Um, so I had that experience and she came up to me to talk to me about another trans, um, trans guy. She wanted some, uh, opinions on him and stuff like that to 
to help her understand him. And so I helped her out with that. And, and so like, we've got a good rapport. Like I've had a good conversation with her about that stuff, but I just, when it comes to the black lives matter and the blue lives matter, like that, like I, I, I've thought about this for so, so long right now, how to word it in a way that, that she's not going to like try to be combative of it and not be like, Oh, well, blue li- or black lives matter means blue lives don't matter. And like quite literally, I want to tell her uh, blue lives don't exist because it's a job. Um, <laughs> but we're not going to get into that conversation. Um, well, she's there, just going to shut down. What's that? There's nothing that you can say to someone that won't be combative. The thing is, you got to find what's worth fighting for. Honestly, this is beyond just Black Lives Matter. You're going to, you and your experience are going mm. to say something to most people. They're either going to think indifferently. There's a fair amount of people that aren't going to care. There's a good amount of people that are going to want to fight you. Yeah. They might physically want to fight you, but that's a different thing. But I think it is important to know what battles to pick. Obviously, I was, I was, I have my own story. I was wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt at um, a job, at my job at the bike shop. Now, their criteria is pretty laid back, um, usually just wearing shop merch of any kind. So I have a hat. I have, so I, was, I think I was wearing the Conti's hat and I was wearing just a Black Lives Matter t-shirt. So when he approached me and we were having conversation about whatever he was in there for, his bike needed to be fixed. He didn't say anything to me. What he does is find the oldest white guy on our staff and say, that guy sure defends me. Do something about it. And he assumed that the oldest white guy in the building was the manager. Our actual manager, now he's also white, but he's probably in his early to mid thirties. Okay, the guy he spoke to was probably in his mid sixties. Okay. That's just the perception. And so that was his bias staring me straight in the face. He didn't want anything that he, because he didn't want to be combative. He didn't want to say directly to me, your shirt offends me to a black person because he knows that that's not a fight he actually wanted. So he ran in his privilege to another older white guy who was lower on the tier as far as just the command chains. Yeah. And somebody who was, uh, ex-military I think the the older guy that he spoke to was a marine so the chain of command and that's the another crazy thing is like all these parallels of people comparing stuff to like the military or chains of command and the police like there are systems to that as well so even the ways that people like the hardest thing about um, specifically you know the Black Lives Matter conversation is somebody can come up to me or drive around in their car with a huge like trump 2020 you know make america great again whatever (laughs) right but if any person of color speaks you need to sound oxford or ivy league educated to say anything yeah it's even harder because it's like if you get triggered in a moment when someone says something disrespectful to you or like you you know you actually want to have a conversation they are so quick to just fire off but they can say Ask nine things with no data or proof, whether it be maybe outside of their personal realm of experience, which is, if that's the caveat, I'll give you that. But to explain the experience to someone who has never been on the other side of that, mm-hmm. there's going to be, that's why these conversations need to be had. It's going to get combative. Like the fact that you back the blue <coughs> is a privilege. The fact that I live in America you know, so I can say what I want about the president and about police uh, or about uh, any sort of injustice and don't get dragged out of my house in the middle of the night. Like that is a privilege. They're all privileges. Yeah. So I told somebody that and they, they almost lost their, their minds. They're like, wait a minute, he's agreeing with me, but not really sort of like, no, no, no. Like we're not saying any of that, you know? And then when it comes to like, so I'm sure you would come at for this specific sense, you would come at her with data statistics on top of your emotional input. Mm. you'd be able to have receipts 
on things that are just morally wrong. And these people are still like, nope, absolutely not. I'm back in blue. Why? But they just killed. Like, so you explain what happened in insert city here. Right. And they're like, oh, well, you know, one bad apple, one bad apple doesn't kill somebody. It tastes bad. You throw it away. Well, so there was actually a perspective that I, it was on Facebook. I read it and it made it. I felt like if you said this to anybody who has kids or has family, they would immediately understand. Yeah. And it was, imagine your kid goes out one night, right? You're already worried sick because your kid is going out. Right. Imagine your kid goes out and doesn't come home. Why? Because a police officer shot them. Okay. Imagine your kid wakes up in their own bed to a gun in their face and then boom shot right imagine your kid is walking down the street with some freaking skittles and a tea right doing what kids do right and then doesn't come home because they get shot right it doesn't matter what race you are it doesn't matter what color your skin is doesn't matter how your hair is doesn't matter how atypical or you know or the other side. Sorry. My brain just like farted. Okay. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter who you are. It's just exactly. It doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. That that alone right there. Imagine a family member just going out and not coming home. Why? Because the person who is supposed to protect you, the person who swore that they swore their duty, their job. They the minute that they wake up and put that uniform on to the second that they take it off, and even then some, because most cops still do their job off duty. Right. That person decided that they were going to abuse their power and to take your life. Because not only are officers not trained, or not only are officers trained to not kill, they're trained to disarm and to disable. Right. That means a shot in the leg, a shot in the hand. Granted, smaller targets, Yes, harder to hit. But that's why you go for the leg, the upper leg, the thigh. Sucks. You, there's um, their arteries, but... I learned this from a friend you, of mine who uh, used to be a cop. He was ex-SWAT and a correctional officer. Yeah. When they pull the trigger, when officers pull the trigger, they're, I don't know if it was specifically him or all police, so I'm going to preface that with, I am fairly ignorant on this. It's going off one conversation. They are taught to empty the clip. That's why they don't have very powerful guns. Like you can get shot with wow. a millimeter in the wrong spot or in the right spot and not immediately die. You know, movies kind of dramatize that. You get one shot, you fall back, you bleed out everywhere, you die. You get hit with a nine in a non-lethal spot, you can bandage it up. It's going to suck. You can bandage yeah. it up and like make it to a hospital quick enough to not bleed out. You get hit with nine to 12 rounds. That's it. That's why when you see a lot of these videos or a lot of the stuff that, and in knowing that makes it almost worse because I can hear it every single time. Yeah, I, as soon as you said that, I literally just like the video of the cop unloading into the driver's side window. They're just like. Because if they have to get there at the point that a gun has to be drawn and it is beyond the point now, and, and I try to look at things from every perspective. Someone genuinely feels like they're scared for their life. You're good. I would do the same thing. If I genuinely felt like my life was threatened, I can't say that without training and understanding that I'm going to shoot this person once and then I'm going to like walk away. Like if I'm genuinely scared for my life and I feel threatened and there's a gun in my hand, I'm probably going to pull that thing until it stops moving. So I get that. But the thing is when you see people walking into their car to defuse an argument, their back is to you and there's now six shots in it how do you begin to justify that and the thing well, not only that i'm sorry go ahead I could. No, you're fine i was just saying we can have a, there's literally we have a whole nother episode on this because i feel like that's on top of covid that's like all i've been talking to people about is just you know it's not black lives matter there's literally a guy with a car right like right around the corner from my job that's like no black lives matter no antifa vote republican and it's like the fact that they're even partisan issues 
is part of the issue. Oh, snap. Bars. Listen, anyway, so you can be Republican and believe Black Lives Matter. You can mm. be pro-Black and support the police. Yeah. Like, it's a human rights issue. Human rights are literally being violated in front of us, recorded, distributed, just egregious acts of human misconduct. And people are still going out. So like back the blue, right? Isn't inherently wrong to support people who are supposed to protect people. It's not wrong to think that your bias is literally just putting rose colored glasses over your eyes because it's easy to back the blue if you've never been in a situation where you're walking down the street with Skittles and a tea and you could get shot. Or when your family leaves to go somewhere, like has happened to my immediate family, anytime we go anywhere, it's like, text me, let me know you're there, safe. And it's not just, yeah. a, oh, let me know your plane landed. It's like, fam, like my, all right. No, let me know you're alive type Perfect stuff. Example. My cousin just came down and he texted me, I just got pulled over. I legitimately thought at that point, this could be the last time I ever talked to my cousin. That's not okay. It's not. That was Saturday. That is not okay. I under I, like I, I know that that's the world that we live in, but that's not okay. Super not. <laughs> it's just walking around constantly in trauma, you know. And he was texting. We were in a group chat, so it was me, uh, me and you know both my cousins. So one of my cousins got pulled over. We're literally texting each other. Hey, I just left. I'm on the way. You know, I left a little late. That kind of normal conversation. As soon as he said, I just got pulled over. There was just a pause. And, and then, like, the craziest thing was where I was. I was at, like, you know, applying for a job. So I can't, like, really like, react because I'm, like, I'm, I'm waiting. But, you know, in that, in that moment, my heart sank into my stomach because I was, like, if this is the last yeah. time, I, I really don't know what else. I, I mean, if I don't walk out of this place and just jump off of something, like, the amount of trauma that's having to be processed for not just people of color, this is people of color, I'm sure with you being trans, you're seeing plenty of stuff, the amount of people that are coming out of the woodworks, bashing the that's, that's a whole nother uh, segment. <laughs> we're gonna talk about it. Actually, I, like I said, so we were gonna record this for a half hour. We've gone way over that. I don't that's care, okay. uh, cause I'm having a good time. We're gonna talk more about that. This is supposed to be about art, but like I said, that's just, that's the thing. That outlet. It's just, it's so much. 2020 has been so much, so damaging. So once again, I'm going to thank you um, uh, for being an essential worker. That itself takes a lot of bravery. And I know when we, when we say essential worker, people think just nurses and med uh, medical care providers and things to that extent. And not to take anything away from that, but there are still people doing jobs that somebody would, you know, probably in that case say that you're not essential. You absolutely are. You're going out every single day and try to provide a paycheck and keep um, food, excuse me, provide food for yourself. And in a world where people like can't make up their minds whether they want to wear the mask or not, or if you don't have the wherewithal, like you said, you guys, you know, can't sit somebody in a chair outside and like temperature gauge people. So it is absolutely um, necessary, I think, to thank everybody who works essentially, whether that's just your local 7-Eleven or everything up from, you know, a, a doctor at this point in time. So I want to once again say thank you. Um, and we're going to, we're going to talk more uh, after, but this, this podcast episode, it's, it's going to be a lot of this guys. It's buckle in, especially for the rest of 20. <laughs> talk about we're not going to get a vaccine until next year. Uh, all the credible sources. Anyway, you ask Trump, he's got a vaccine in his pocket right now. But we're going to talk more about that too. Anyway, oh, thank you for today's episode of part of, dark matter podcast words are hard thank you for checking out today's episode of the dark matter podcast you can follow me hunter do you do do you distribute your art anywhere online yet you can plug yourself if you want to i do not actually however uh i will plug in my uh my instagram uh do it boy boy wonder b-o-i underscore w-n-d-r um i am currently trying to raise money for my top surgery by selling commission pieces so if anybody uh, has any ideas for pieces that they'd like on a canvas, uh, message me and I'll, 
I'll work with you. I got some ideas. I'm gonna support. Yeah. I'm gonna commission something. I'm gonna buy it because I put my money where my mouth is. Um, so check him out, Boy Wonder. Inst- Instagram. Yeah, Instagram. Boy Wonder on Instagram. We're gonna get those numbers up because I believe in you guys. And thank you so much once again, Hunter, for being on today's episode. Um, before we go, I have a uh, poem of the day. I do a poem of the day segment. I found one right before we recorded. So I'm going to leave with this. Absolutely. Every time I watch a storm, it reminds me that my life is directed by my thoughts. The electrical impulses from my head to my body. And that is from the book Vertigo uh, by Analog De Leon. You check that out. Uh, wherever books are sold. You can listen to the Dark Matter podcast, wherever podcasts are. Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. You can check this episode out. It's going to go live on YouTube. Then I'm going to transcribe it and put it on the blog because I'm good at adulting. Thank you so much, guys. Peace.